The following podcast is sponsored by the Zionsville Community Enrichment Grant. We'd also like to thank AMR and NASCAR for their ongoing support of safety and Rachel's first week. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Safety. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Jill, an emergency medicine doctor. Jill, thanks so much for coming on the pod today. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you're here? Yeah, thanks, Jack, and thanks for having me. So like Jack said, my name's Jill Murphy. I'm an emergency medicine physician, and I practice in Indianapolis, Indiana. Honestly, I got involved with this whole program as far as Rachel's first week when I was going through my training. I got to know Angie Feige, who's one of the doctors that I trained under and heard the story about Rachel and heard what Angie was doing to make it into something, you know, such a tragic story into something great to help other people. And it's something I really wanted to jump on board with. So we're so happy to have you here. And I know it sounds like your story is very similar to mine as to why I got involved. Speaking of kind of stories, in a lot of the stories that we've discussed on this podcast, and Rachel's is one of those, there are usually a lot of people around when an emergency happens. However, it usually seems that only a few of those people around actually help out and are able to kind of speak up in these situations. Today, we'll be talking about why it's hard for people to get involved in emergency situations and even some strategies and tactics to make it easier to engage in these situations. Yeah, Jack, I think you make a really great point. And honestly, as an emergency medicine doctor, I really have heard this like many, many times over. I've had patients' families that have told me that they're really afraid to make the call because they're not sure what's going to happen when they come see mm-hmm. us. They're not sure if they're going to get in trouble or there's going to be any repercussions. So like I said, I think you have a really good point with that. I do a lot of the live programs with Rachel's First Week, and we oftentimes ask our participants if they'd actually call 911 if they thought there was an emergency while they're at a party. And honestly, most of the time people say yes, but <laughs> studies have shown that really only about 10% really help out in the situation. So I've always been kind of curious as to why that is. And in these emergency situations, obviously, there's a lot of things that are going on that affect why people tend to help out or tend not to help out. But one of the phenomenon that's really interesting that's been studied has a name, and it's called the bystander effect, and it affects all of us. Bystander effect. That sounds mysterious. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, before I can get into that, I do have to tell you the story of Kitty Genovese and how her tragic death sparked the notion of the bystander effect. Tragic death sounds even more mysterious. You have my attention. I will warn our listeners, the details of the story are a little gory. Kitty was returning to her apartment early in the morning after finishing his shift as a bartender. As she approached her apartment building, she was followed by a man, Winston Mosley. Mosley chased Kitty and ended up stabbing her twice, causing her to scream out for help. That is terrifying. What happened next? Unfortunately, despite being in a very busy area of town, Kitty did not receive the help she needed in the time she needed it. Unfortunately, she ended up passing away due to her injuries before being able to receive the medical attention she desperately needed. Early reporting from the New York Times suggested that 38 people heard Kitty's cries but did not help. A recent review of this reporting has demonstrated that there were some people who did reach out to authorities, but it was too little too late. Regardless of kind of the number of people who ended up reaching out to help out Kitty, her story sparked psychologists to study why people did not help Kitty, dubbing it the bystander effect. 
So Jack, what exactly is the bystander effect and what kind of research has been done about it? Yeah, so the bystander effect refers to this phenomenon that when more people are present, this makes people less likely to help out someone in need. And there's been a ton of studies backing this up. Without going into the details, there have been many studies to back this up in kind of a variety of settings, so not just life-threatening situations like what happened to Kitty. Yeah. So when reading for this podcast, I came across a really great study showing the bystander effect in action, kind of more in an everyday setting Mm. that we might see. So in this study, male college students, much like a lot of our listeners, were recruited to participate in what they thought was market research relating to board games, but it was really a study on the bystander effect, a little bait and switch. (laughs) After showing the participant to a waiting room, the college students were handed a questionnaire by a researcher who then went behind a curtain. While the participant worked, he heard a crashing cabinet, and the researcher called out in pain that her ankle was hurt and that she couldn't move. When participants were alone, they attempted to help nearly 70% of the time. But things began to change when other people were in the room with the participant. When participants waited with a paid actor, one that was trained not to respond, only about 10% helped out, and that's kind of the research that we use. Even when the students waited with friends, they still showed significant signs of inhibition. Yeah, I just think this study is so fascinating. And I think it really goes to show that this bystander effect can be pretty powerful. You know, going from 70% to 10% is is quite a big jump. To help us understand this better, we will hear from Evan, Sam, and Julie, who were able to overcome the bystander effect at a packed college tailgate. And from our returning guest, Christy, a therapist who will talk with us about strategies to overcome the bystander effect. I was with uh, some friends of mine. We were at a tailgate before the game had started. So I was at IU. My daughter is a freshman there. And we met up with some other friends of ours for a tailgate before the first IU game. I was tailgating with some friends and family. About an hour before the game, we decided to start walking over once we saw like the crowds of people that started going. And there was a good bunch of us, probably about 10 of my friends. And we all started walking. It was the first home football game. It was beautiful outside. People were excited. People were cheering and chanting and stuff like that, running. People were having fun. We eventually got to the parking lot, and there was just a lot of people even still tailgating in there, so it was really busy. As we were walking, there was a guy that was probably like eight feet in front of me. I've never seen him before. And then this guy tripped on a curb and kind of landed on a table that had a speaker and had some food on it and some other things. But then he continued to fall and he hit his head on the curb and everybody kind of made the uh, like, ooh, sound. We look over and there was a big commotion and there was a huge group of guys. And I looked over and I saw this kid trip on the curb and like slow motion in my head, I saw him fall down, hit his head. My daughter said she saw somebody fall, and then just a large group was forming. One of the gentlemen we were with said he saw a kid fall, and he heard his head hit the pavement. Some people kept walking, but there were some people who just kind of stood there. One of his friends was trying to wake him up, like trying to get him up and get him out of there, keep moving, but the dude wasn't getting up. He was just yelling his name, trying to like grab his arm. And the dude wasn't moving. Dude wasn't even like responsive. He wasn't making any noise. He wasn't talking. And that's about when I got to him. When I got to him, I saw his friend kind of just kind of trying to wake him up, trying to get him going. 
And uh, that's when I got down and I like, kind of shook his shoulder, like, hey, you're all right. And didn't, no response, nothing. And then I took my knuckles and I rubbed it into his chest super hard to try to get anything out of him. And there was nothing. At the same time, one of my friends who I was walking with also was trying to like figure out like what was going on. I ran over there and a lot of his friends were talking to this guy. It looked like he had been drinking. Like all of them are kind of a bit dancing around, very not balanced to say the least. I could see a little bit of puke just on his lip. There was nothing else, but there was a little bit of puke on his lip. He's already unconscious. And like, he has friends that are saying like, come on, dude, you're ruining the day. Like, just get up. You're fine. I was just like really shocked that his friends would even say that. And I I looked at his chest and I kind of listened really quick and he was not breathing. His face was starting to go a little purple. And I knew that he'd probably puked and I figured he was choking on it. So I opened his mouth and I could see immediately there was a lot of debris in his mouth. So I took my finger and I started scooping out all of the debris that was in his mouth and towards the back of his throat. And I kept doing that until eventually he coughed, but he was out of it. Even then he was very much out of it, but he was breathing. So that was good. At the time he was on the ground, his head was still on the curb. We didn't want to move him at first because I didn't know if he'd broken his neck, if he had any head injury that we didn't want to move his neck, but he started moving himself easily. He started moving his head around and he sat himself up. I was like, that was a really bad hit on his head. It was on concrete and automatically he was throwing up. It was really bad. And when I started talking to him, it, it was not just someone who was drunk. It was someone who just hit their head really hard kind of couldn't really be in the moment. There was a lot of yelling and a lot of people yelling at me, a lot of people yelling at Alex. We didn't pay attention to what was going on. We were just focused on what was important at the time. Some of his friends around us going like, dude, you're ruining the night. Like, just get up. We have the game to go to. A lot of those friends, I kind of like yelled at and I was like, hey, cut it out. He didn't ruin the day. (laughs) Like he just got really injured. And so they started like walking off. Honestly, I don't know how many people there that he was with he knew. I know there was one friend that he was with who did stay, but his one friend was panicking in a sense of kind of froze, froze up. He uh, didn't know what to do. Evan was coming over and asking if he could borrow something to wash his hands off with, some sanitizer, because this kid had fallen down, hit his head, and had thrown up and he was helping him. And I was asking if anybody had called for help yet. So we waited around, they sent some emergency medical personnel to our location. Most everybody else was kind of dispersed by that point. And so the medics came and they took him. That was pretty much it. Even afterwards, I was actually talking to my friend about this. Afterwards, we were sitting at the football game and everybody was sitting there cheering and we were just sitting on the bench trying to figure out like, okay, what just happened? There was a a lot of adrenaline at that moment that we weren't paying attention to anything else. It was very shocking how people reacted. Even adults around them were just kind of like, get up, you're fine. And more 
upset about like how it affected them in their day. Clearly the guy was not okay. You could tell just from the moment he hit his head. I guess when I just saw that he wasn't okay, um, I wasn't just gonna let him not be okay. I, I was fortunate enough to, I know uh, things to do. And I've been in situations before where people have not been okay, not to that extent, but I thought that I might be able to help. So I wanted to. Any injury to the head is not something to just get up and walk off. It's really dangerous. And you'd rather have a friend than like a fun night out. I mean, I couldn't even imagine the guilt that those friends who are trying to make him leave would have if no one actually helped him and he had passed away or something or he had brain damage. Like, it's just so much better to have your friend than, say, a night out drinking. I will never leave somebody alone <laughs> if I, I think there's any remote possibility that they're not OK. I mean, even if you even if you don't know what to do, I didn't do anything complicated, but even if you're. Um, in the moment and you are panicking and you don't know what to do, it's always good just to I mean, call 911. Call 911 and there is someone, wherever you are, there is someone who knows what to do. There's always somebody that uh, has at least some experience and some experience is better than them. And now I'm so excited to welcome a returning guest to the podcast, Christy. Thanks so much for coming back. Thanks for having me again. Um, really excited to have you on here and talk about a little bit more of the details of the bystander effect and how we can overcome that. So I wanted to open things up by asking you, um, what do you think makes it hard for people to intervene in these stressful situations? So as human beings, we experience a natural automatic physiological response called the fight, flight, or freeze response. Mm -hmm. So it's our body's reaction to something that's stressful or frightening. Some people freeze up, others run away, some will jump right in. So depending on what your natural instinct is, you may be inclined to freeze or bolt versus fighting or jumping in to help. So since it's your body's way of ensuring that you survive a dangerous situation, your brain and your body get inundated with adrenaline. So the interesting thing about this is you can overcome whatever your natural inclination is. So for example, learning to calm your body down through using positive self-talk can bring you into the present moment. Um, although the physical symptoms during an emergency situation can be very overwhelming, remind yourself that it's normal to experience what you're feeling. So you may experience some anxiety, you may be fearful, you might feel shaky, you may even feel a lot of panic, and those are all very typical responses. But if you can remind yourself that it's just your body's way of coping, that you're in shock, and that you might be able to act despite whatever you're feeling. Yeah, I think that fight or flight response can be quite strong. I know for me in the hospital, I you know have to deal with some stressful situations and I feel like my hands just are constantly shaking. But like you said, with some training, some deep breathing, these are things that you can overcome with training. Absolutely. So another way to kind of overcome this is tapping into empathy for other people and it may be able to help you act a little bit differently. So if you can imagine how scary or helpless the person in need might feel, you might be able to overcome the paralysis that you're experiencing and also jump in. Um, I think there's also a fear of doing something wrong or actually causing more harm. So for example, if there's a medical crisis and you are not trained in basic first aid, you may not know how to help. Right. I think the most important thing is if you're unsure, at a minimum, call for help. Yeah, I think Christy makes really great points. I mean, 
we see it all the time where people just freeze up and they don't really know what to do because there's so many emotions that come on whenever you're witnessing an emergency, especially if you're not used to that. And really, like you're talking about doing something wrong, potentially, if you're not the adequately trained person to respond. So I think you make a great point as far as if you're not sure what to do or not sure how to process every emotion or everything that you're feeling in the moment, calling 911 is really a great reaction that will get the patient or get the person the help that they need. So in talking with uh, Christy, it seems like a lot of people do think it's hard to intervene in the situations. And I kind of wonder if some of it has to do with the bystander effect. One thing that I've always wondered with that is, you know, with the bystander effect, what makes it stronger or weaker? So the studies on the bystander effect unfortunately show that the more people that are around during an emergency situation, the less people who actually help. So you would actually assume it would be the opposite, right? So there are a few theories that might help to explain this. There is an idea of diffusion of responsibility. And what that means is the more people that are around, the less individual responsibility I might feel for whatever is currently happening. Yeah, I think this idea of diffusion of responsibility, we see this all the time in our day-to-day lives. I think if you get an email sent out to your entire class asking for volunteers, at least for me personally, I'm a lot less likely to respond to that. But if somebody comes up to me one-on-one and asks me, hey, can you help me out on that? I'm much more likely to help out. So, I, you know, th- this term of diffusion of responsibility sounds kind of like archaic and hard to understand, but I think we see it every single day. It's just that we haven't really maybe noticed it as much. Yeah, absolutely. Another factor is social influence. So we tend to do what the majority of people around us are doing. So if they're panicking, we're also probably Mm -hmm. panicking. But if they're ignoring an emergency situation, we may be more inclined to do so as well. Another factor to consider is that people may assume that there are others around them who are more qualified to help. So using the previous medical emergency example, if I don't feel qualified to administer first aid, I may stay back and away Mm -hmm. from the situation and hope that someone else who is trained jumps in and takes charge. Yeah, I'll tell you, I've even had this. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. Uh, I'll tell you, I've even had this uh, before. I've, you know, the classic is there a doctor on the plane? And I will tell you, I sat down for probably three or four minutes before I was like, reluctantly (laughs) raised my hand. I was like, okay, fine. No one else. Uh, so, I mean, you know, even people that are trained sometimes, you know, it's just, I think, part of the human nature to just wait and see. So I, I definitely yeah. can see this in action. And I also would agree, like in the hospital, when we're on call and something happens in the hospital, you know, 15 doctors will show up to a room and it's so easy for me to just kind of sit in the back and just think that somebody else is smarter than I am or that somebody else will take care of it. And it's really hard to kind of put yourself in the driver's seat of some of those situations. Absolutely. So fear also comes into play when there's a crisis. So you may also experience feelings of, could I get hurt with whatever the situation may Mm -hmm. be that's going on? Um, Am I too weak to help? Could I overcome somebody physically if I needed to? Or even kind of second guessing the situation, like am I perceiving a threat or a dangerous situation where there may not actually be one? Yeah, and I think that fear of messing up is something that all of us have. And I think an important thing to stress there is just calling 911. There's really not a lot that can go wrong by calling 911. And there are licensed professionals there ready to help you out and talk you through those situations. 
thinking about this and thinking about these, you know, super stressful situations like Kitty's situation is a very scary situation. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is how does the bystander effect look to a college student? Because obviously there are some terrible crimes that happen on a college sure. campus, but I, I imagine there's probably a couple more realistic situations we could talk about. So it's important to note that most emergency situations in a college setting are not going to be nearly as violent as what happened to Kitty. Yeah. The most common emergency situations will probably be a peer drinking too much and passing right. out or falls like the one that Evan and Sam and Julie discussed mm -hmm. previously. So when in doubt, do the bare minimum and call for help and administer emergency care if you're able. Now, if you do encounter a situation where something doesn't feel right, what should you do? It can be hard to intervene when you don't have all the information. So what should you do if you see a couple in a physical altercation? Or if someone is flagging you down on the side of the road? I always ask myself, if it were my friend or even maybe my own daughter, right. what would I want someone else to do? Mm -hmm. Or what can you safely do maybe even from a distance? Right. And that goes to kind of what you were saying earlier about one of the great strategies against the bystander effect is trying to empathize with mm -hmm. what you're seeing. So imagining it's somebody that you love or you care for, I think is a great strategy. Yeah. I mean, if you don't feel safe intervening, that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, just because we're discussing this on the podcast doesn't mean that we want you to put yourself in harm's way. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, even in emergency settings, emergency medicine, emergency medical services, I mean, really the first thing you need to do is make sure the scene is safe. So don't put yourself in harm's way, but you can still help the person by calling 911. Yeah, absolutely. And personally, as a therapist, I'm a big trust your gut person. So if something feels off, trust your gut. So always be aware of your surroundings. And again, at a minimum, call 911, even if you're not sure what's going on. Time may be of the essence in the situation. So what can we do, Christy? Give us a little bit more... Uh, how can we help out? Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be a hero. Sometimes just saying things like stop, call 911, help is on the way may influence other people to jump in and help out. Mm -hmm. If it's a potentially violent situation, such as a physical altercation, you can often just intervene by asking if the person who's being harmed needs help. Asking things like, are you okay? are you hurt, mm -hmm. may potentially just save a life. Another way to reduce the bystander effect is to specifically ask someone by name to do something. Mm -hmm. So for example, I could say, hey, Jack, call 911, or hey, Jill, come and help me, please. And calling that out normalizes and kind of pulls people out of the shock. Right. And if you've ever taken like a CPR class or something, I know this is something that they talk about as well, specifically asking somebody by name and pointing to them. Whether or not they're talking about the bystander effect, it definitely helps people pull somebody out of that crowd dynamic and make them involved as an individual. So I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I think the role assignment is huge, too, especially when you're witnessing such a stressful event. It'll kind of help give them a task to focus on rather than maybe all the other emotions that we've already discussed earlier. So we talked about some ways to reduce the bystander effect and some ways that the bystander effect kind of looks to a college student. One thing I was wondering is, what are some situational differences that affect how powerful the bystander effect is? You know, really, the biggest one is when you don't have all the details of a right. situation. If you walk in halfway through an emergency situation or you don't have context for what's going on, it can make it hard to make a judgment call on whether help is needed or not. 
So if you encounter a situation where you're unsure if it's an emergency, you may be less likely to ask questions or try to help. So again, it comes back to what we've been trying to hit home with this podcast is if you're unsure, what's the harm in calling 911? Mm -hmm. And if there's nothing going on, then let somebody else rule that out. Right. And I think, unfortunately, for a lot of college students, a lot of these situations are quite ambiguous. I'm sure we've all seen people who have been passed out from drinking and ended up being okay. And it's so hard to say just by looking at somebody and not knowing all those details, mm-hmm. how this situation is going to unfold. And that's what makes it all the more important to call 911 or call campus security or something like that. If there's really any worry at all going on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I just feel like, you know, you're never going to regret making the call if it needed to happen, but you'll definitely regret it if you don't and you should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can remember one time specifically from college, I had a friend who was, you know, quite intoxicated. And I remember I was pretty much the only one who wanted to call 911 in that situation, just because I remember looking at him and just he did not look right. He just looked completely different in the way his face was, and he was acting much different than he normally would. And um, we ended up calling 911. And I remember the next day after getting home from the emergency room, he was really thankful that I called 911 and he thought it was the right decision, even though he didn't know it at the time. So let's go back to a situation where maybe you don't feel safe or maybe you're scared to get involved and you're not quite sure what to do. Christy, what are some ways that you think we could help in those kind of situations? Well, first of all, I would say work on your own personal stress response. So figure out what's your natural inclination in an emergency situation. So If it is to freeze or flee, I would recommend doing some mindfulness work and also have a plan in mind should you ever encounter a crisis or an emergency situation. So the more prepared you are, the better your reaction will be. Also know what safety resources are available at your Mm -hmm. school. So for example, when I was in college, there was a number we could call if we were ever in a parking lot alone at night and we wanted a security officer to walk us to a dorms. Mm-hmm. Just an extra layer of right. added security. Yeah, I had that in college too, and I butt dialed them probably two or three times. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Right. Um, well, and, and have the numbers for the campus security, EMS, police, and fire saved in your phone. And again, when in doubt, call 911. Yeah, I I like that. All those options are great. I think another thing, too, to keep in mind is that a lot of these hotlines, especially for colleges, allow you to just text as well. Um, Because I know like calling somebody on the phone can be stressful, or maybe you don't want to seem involved because of everybody else looking at you. Some of these lines allow you to text, which is a great way to still get the message across that something's going on, but not put yourself as directly involved if that's not something you're comfortable with. One thing I'd love to stress is that every college campus has its own safety things in place, but they're all a little bit different. And so it's really important to make sure that you're familiar with how your college handles these stressful situations. And so whether that's making sure you have all the right numbers saved in your phones or kind of keeping an eye out for those emergency polls that are located across your campus, whatever it is, just making sure that you're aware of the resources that you have to help you out in these situations, because it shouldn't be all on you. Really, your only job should be to make sure that you reach out to the people who are trained and the professionals in these situations. Well, thank you so much to Evan, Sam, and Julie for sharing your story. And thank you so much to Christy for coming back on the pod and helping us to break down some of the details and strategies to minimize the bystander effect. The bystander effect is something that I think everybody feels, whether or not they know it or not. 
Yeah, I think Jack and Christy really have made great points about the bystander effect. And it's something that, you know, like we're talking about really affects everybody, really, no matter how smart you are, how confident you are. Maybe now that we know exactly what it is, we can be more aware of it and be more aware of ourselves and our reaction to these situations and hopefully help somebody who really needs it. Safe Tea is brought to you by Rachel's First Week. Executive producer, Dr. Angie Feige. Sound engineer, Ben Vodder. And a very special thanks to American Medical Response, NASCAR, and healthcare initiatives for their financial support of this podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter at hashtag Rachel's First Week. Don't forget the A in Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. We want to hear from you, so contact us at rachelsfirstweek.org. Don't forget to subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode of Safe Teeth.